I want to talk about something that's kind of near and dear to my heart. I was going to talk about grace, and that is near and dear to my heart. But take your Bibles, turn to Romans. I'm not going to be long on this. Everybody okay? I don't know about you, but I've been having fun today. Those of you who have many conversations with me, you'll know that one of my life's messages is based out of Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. So that's where I want you to turn to. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. It says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Some translations say reasonable worship. That's really nice too. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now this is near and dear to me because... I still haven't pulled the trigger on it yet, but at some point I may do it. My wife doesn't like this idea, but I want to get a really cool tattoo of Romans 12, 1 and 2 on my arm right there. I know, I got all these younger guys. Go, do it, do it! I just need a good artist to get that right there. I just... This is so powerful. This right here to me, I know, and I don't want to negate or take away from or or diminish any of the rest of the gospel or or the scripture itself, but this right here, guys, is where the Christian life boils down to, right here. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And he goes on to say right after that, holy, acceptable to God. Isn't that wonderful? Because of the work of Jesus, he's turned you into accepted, perfect, and holy. And all he's asking of you is, give give me yourself now. Give me yourself. A living sacrifice. The problem with living sacrifices is they tend to crawl off the altar. We say, I'm going to give myself to God, and then something starts changing, and we don't like it, and we pull ourselves back off again. So much of your life in Christ and your destiny is is found by simply embracing the difficulty right in front of you. Who wants to find the fullness of their destiny in Jesus? Yeah. Well, you don't find it unless you embrace the difficulty right in front of you. The relational difficulty that you may be facing, stare it down. The financial difficulty, stare it down. This is how we ultimately are conformed into the image of Christ, as Romans 8 tells us. It's by this right here. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your, it's reasonable. It's reasonable worship to do that. It's not even unreasonable. Don't you like that? It's just reasonable. It makes sense. It would make sense that if he's made us holy and acceptable, then we present ourselves to him and say, I'll I'll climb up on the altar, so to speak, and I'll just let you do whatever you want with me. You know what? He's not going to hurt you. The only thing he's going to hurt is the very thing that holds you back. And he has a very, very, very hot wrath towards the very thing that holds you back. That's what he wants to get rid of. That's what he wants to get off of you. 
Verse 2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your, work, your mind. That word conform there is an interesting word. Interesting Greek word for you Greek people who like words. Suskomitidzu is the word. Nobody want to say that one? Suskomitidzu. It's just fun. It's where we get the word schematic. Does anybody know what a schematic is? A schematic is like a wiring diagram or a blueprint. If we were to take apart like the soundboard or any of this electronic instruments, you will find inside a piece of paper with a wiring diagram on it. It'll show you where all the wires go from this point to this point. It's a wiring diagram. It's a schematic. That's where we get that word from this Greek word here, suskomitidzu. And so when he's saying, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, he's saying, don't any longer let your thinking even be wired like that. You're to be rewired completely so that the way your synapse fire in your brain, for those of you biologists, doctor-type people, the way your synapse fire in the brain and the course that the signals take throughout your brain get totally diverted and go in different directions because you're not thinking like that anymore. You're thinking about something different. Is this making sense? Don't be wired like this anymore. How do you do that? Put that into a practical, Andrew. Okay. You're driving down the road, and like my car did, my air conditioner stops working. Not fun in the summer, right? What do you do? You freak out, and immediately your mind starts going to, oh my gosh, that's $1,000 right there. That's going to cost me this. I can't, you know. You know what I'm talking about, right? The rewired, renewed mind that's no longer conformed, has the same schematic, it looks at it and goes something like this. Wow, God. How are you going to fix that one? It's your car. I don't know why you do these things, but I just, it's your car. I mean, if you, you hear what I'm saying. It's a complete rewiring. Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be what? Transformed. Now, it conforms a good word. Transforms a really good word. It's the word metamorpho. Anybody know what English word we get out of that? Metamorphosis. You know what's really interesting about that Greek word? It's only used three times in Scripture. It's only used three times. One, well, four if you count it because it's in two Gospels. Same story. So let's say four for the sake of argument. Mount of Transfiguration, where he takes Peter, James, and John up on the mountain, right? And everything happens. What happens in front of them? His clothes turn white. His face turn white, like shiny. He's super shiny. It says he was transfigured. That's the word, metamorpho. He was transformed right in front of him. I love that story. There's so many ramifications to that story, but one of them that I really hold near and dear is the very fact that Jesus is our model. And if Jesus is our model, correct? Would we all agree with that? Jesus is our model. If Jesus is our model, and he's modeling for us obedience, and not his will, but the will of the Father, and simply being obedient to it, then that's, that's probably capable for us. I think we could shine like that. I really do think we can. Now, that may be messing some people up in here, but I really do think we can. I think that would be awesome. Wouldn't it be really cool just to be somewhere at some point, all of a sudden you're like a light, <laughs> shining? You talk about things that get people's attention and go, that's not of this world, right? So that word right there, Mount of Transfiguration, metamorphic, he was transfigured, transformed right before them. And the other place we see it is in Corinthians where it says that we are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and we are being transformed. We are being metamorphosis from glory to glory. Do you guys know what happens in a metamorphosis? My son, my youngest son, eight years old, he, 
He's really into this. He planted some flowers at our house that attract monarch butterflies and different types of butterflies. And we had uh, more last year than this year, but the caterpillars, they show up, right? And they eat the plant down to a nub. And then you see them up on the walls and all around the house. They're making these chrysalis, these cocoons. And you guys know the story about what happens. The caterpillar goes in, the butterfly comes out. Now, we know that, so it makes sense to us. But think about this for a minute. That word metamorphosis is what it's talking about in Scripture. It's what it's talking about right there, that we get transformed from glory to glory. In other words, you don't... Let me look at it like this. How many of you have an old car that is really not a great car, but it gets you around? But it's an old car, right? I got one too. It's, it's a tank, but it's nice and it works for me. If I were to go get a new car, it wouldn't be like me going in and taking in my Isuzu Trooper and just getting a brand new Isuzu Trooper. That's not metamorphosis. It would be like me taking in my Isuzu Trooper and coming out with... Oh, come on, shame higher. I'm talking like a Mercedes S550 or something like that. I'm thinking like Bentley, McLaren. You know, I'm thinking something like that, you know. That's what I'm talking about. This, that kind of change is what we're talking about. That, as a matter of fact, the, the, the language in 2 Corinthians 5 when it says that if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation, that's what he's talking about. It doesn't mean like I still look like the same person, but I'm just better. It's a completely different person. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. It's completely different. This idea of metamorphosis, think about how ludicrous this is. All of us understand what happens with the caterpillar to the butterfly, right? But how many of you, if you had not known the story of what happens to a butterfly, how many of you, in your logical thinking mind, would look at a caterpillar and go, oh yeah, that's going to be a butterfly one day? Nobody would. That's ridiculous to think like that. But that's what this transformation thing looks like for us. You go from one thing to something completely different. You know what physically happens inside the chrysalis? The caterpillar goes inside, builds this cocoon around him, and it sits there a week, two weeks, I don't know how long it is. He sits there. Did you know that it physically, inside, turns to liquid? It turns to a goo, an absolute nothingness. It goes from a caterpillar to sludge, to just nothing. And then out of that comes crazy, right? This is ridiculous. How does that happen? Well, the way that it happens is not by sitting by passively and just saying, oh God, conform me into your image. Remember the first part of what we just read? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. My body consists of flesh, my soul, and my spirit, right? Tripart beings. So I can say, yes, I'll give my body to, you know, for the kingdom or something like that, and I could be martyred. That's one thing. Okay, that's one way to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, but there's something deeper than that. I think the most difficult part to present is not necessarily our bodies, it's our soul. Because inside of our soul consists our mind, our will, and our emotions, correct? Right? That's what your soul's made up of, your mind, will, and emotions, right? Those are the difficult things to give up. So if I'm not being conformed to this world, but I'm being transformed, I have to submit myself to it. I have to say, here's my soul. What will it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul, suke, right? That's what, we're giving, that's what we're giving up. Take up your cross, follow me. When he talks about that, deny himself. Take up your cross and follow me. What, will it do, what, will it do, what good will it do you if you 
gain the whole world and lose your soul. That word soul there is suke. It's where we get the word psychology. I think that's so funny that we have psychologists that study the aspects of the soul trying to get people healed and they don't do anything about what the spirit is. It's the spirit that gives life, right? <laughs> Not just, okay, if there's a psychologist in here, I'm sorry. I did this once before and I got in trouble for it. I really did. That church didn't have me come back again. But it's okay. I know who I am. And I'm not everybody's cup of tea, and I'm okay with that. But you hear what I'm saying? This transformation, it only works if we put ourselves up on the altar. The hard part about it is this part of giving our soul to it. Because that's my mind, man. That's the way I think. That's my will. Those are the things that I want to do. Those are the things that I desire. It's my emotions. Well, I don't feel like it. Do you guys know that this being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, this being transformed by submitting yourself to the work of Jesus Christ is what real repentance really is? Did you know that? That's what real repentance is. How many of you in here have ever heard in church, I've done this before, half of this room should get this right. That's all I know. How many of you in this room have ever heard it taught to you that in church that repentance means to turn and go in the opposite direction? Let me see your hand. It's a nice try. That's not what it means. Does anybody know what it means? It means, it literally means, metanoia means to change your mind or change the way you think. That's what repent means. Repent. Take, break it down in English language for a minute. Repent. Re means to what? Do again, right? Again or over again. Pent. The word pent for us, it means, it's where we get the word penthouse, high place. What are we doing? We're rethinking and going back to the high place. Doesn't Jesus say, my thoughts are not like your thoughts, my ways are not like your ways, they're higher than yours? Hmm. How do we get to that point? Submitting ourselves on the altar and saying, I, I refuse to hold on to, I refuse to hold on to the way I think that life should look. And I lay it on the altar and I say, okay, Lord, change my mind. I'm repenting. I'm changing my mind. I'm letting my mind be changed by the revelation of you. And when I see that, right in his light, we see light. When he shows up on the scene, things go really big, and you know what they are. Anybody ever had an encounter with Jesus that changed your life? A few of you already raised your hand. You know what I'm talking about. Whenever that happens, you lose the right to go back to thinking about life any other way. It now becomes illegal. It's immoral to go back to thinking. Anybody ever seen anybody get healed when you've prayed for them or seen it happen? Miraculous healings. Come on, hold your hand up. Hold your hand up. It is illegal for you to go back to thinking that God doesn't heal people. This is what the renewed mind, because what happened in that situation, some of you would probably testify if I were to ask you this. In the situation where you saw somebody getting prayed for for a miraculous miracle, and then it happened, but inside your mind you were thinking there's no way, or this probably isn't going to happen, right? And then all of a sudden it happens, and you're just like, oh my gosh, what's happening right there? You are being positioned to have your mind renewed. You're being positioned because there's a repentance going on. He's changing your mind. Don't be conformed any longer. You know what we do in Christianity when it comes to healing specifically? We do things like this. Well, I believe God can heal. Well, good for you. I believe God can heal. I think you would be hard-pressed to find anybody who believes in Jesus that would disagree with that. You, hear, you feel where I'm going with this? There's a difference between saying, I believe God can heal, and the difference between that and saying, I believe God will heal. Because God can heal says he might or he might not. Saying God will, will heal means that you take the initiative and you step up to him and you put your hand on him if they've got a headache and you say, in Jesus' name, headache, leave. 
and then watch it go away. That's just the practical example. Is this helping you guys this morning? What we're looking for here is I'm looking for us as a family, as a church, to see something happen in a city where we're not just bringing more religion. We're, we're filled with religion. I want to be the most naturally supernatural person on the planet. Where I don't have to go into a situation and use my church broke language. Well, brother, I am blessed and highly favored. And the glory of God. It's so funny to hear that. Now I'm really stepping on some toes now because people talk like that in church and they go out and they talk totally different. What is that about? I don't get that. What I want to be and what I want us to be is a people who are supernaturally natural, that wherever we go, we position ourselves ongoingly with the attitude of saying, my act of worship is not just about singing songs, it's about coming in, and I take my will, my mind, my will, emotions, my suke, and I lay it on the altar, and I say, God, you can do anything you want with it, but the best thing you could ever do with me, God, is to change this right here. Change this right here. You guys are familiar with Joyce Meyer. She wrote a fantastic book a number of years ago called The Battlefield of the Mind. Deals with this stuff. All this stuff, the way we think. The problem is we don't like to have our minds changed, right? Where do you think most arguments come from? My wife and I have never argued. <laughs> you got it. Thank you. <laughs> but if we did, it would probably go something like this. Well, this is the way it is. No, this is the way it is. No, this is the way it is. No, this is the way. No, this is what happened. No, this is what happened. No, you said this. No, you said this, right? Nobody has any idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> what happens in situations like that? I know I'm talking about earthly relational stuff, but we do it with God all the time. We may not use those words, but we do it with him all the time. He's trying to show us something that's different, and we're saying, no, it's like this, God. It's like this. How many of you are in need of provision in your life right now? Financial provision, Okay. Be careful that you're not arguing with God about how your financial provision is going to show up. Because you can start to argue with him and say, it's supposed to look like this. You're supposed to give me this amount of money. You're supposed to give me this car or this whatever. You start arguing with him like that, and he's saying, you're not even catching it. I want to do it a different way. I want to do it a different way. He'll show up and he'll do it. It's just our arguing with him and our, our uh, Repent. Let's go back to the high place. His thoughts are higher than ours. His ways are higher than ours. I think we can afford to lose some of our earthly thinking and still be okay. I think we can afford to lay down the way we see life functioning and what's good, what's bad, what's indifferent. Look at all that stuff. And I think we can lay that down and look at it and go, God, transform me. There's nothing more beautiful than to see a person so madly in love with Jesus that is constantly walking in an attitude where they've laid down their agenda, their thoughts, their religion, their doctrine. Ooh, did I just mess with somebody there? Can we do that? Can we afford to lay down our doctrine and trust? People ask me that all the time when I go to these different places and I'm teaching, especially in these schools where they're all about going after God, pursuing really hard and stuff. They'll ask me questions about what I believe about different doctrines and stuff. And I'll tell them what I believe because I have a belief in those things, but I will follow up by saying, ask me next year. It's probably going to be different. 
Ask me in a couple of weeks, it might be different. And I'm not talking about the settled issue of Jesus and his divinity and his humanity, the Virgin Mary. I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about eschatology. I'm talking about, are you, do you believe in predestination? Absolutely. The Bible says it. It's right there in the Bible. I believe it. I don't know how you interpret it. That's, that's the difference, really. That's where we run, run into problems here. What do you do? Are you Armenian? Are you Calvinist? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Do you believe in dispensationalism? Well, yeah, I go to a vending machine, I put in a quarter, and it dispenses something to me. You hear what I'm saying? It's these kinds of things, guys. We, why am I bringing this up? I don't know. I just, it's core to who we are, it's core to what we believe, that we don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but people look at us and they say, they don't even think like a normal human. Now, there's some of you who don't think like a normal human, but there's help for that. (laughs) Some of you are going, what are you talking about? Well, that's probably you then. (laughs) It's like you try to identify who's the weird black sheep in the family and you can't figure out who it is. Oh, it's you. Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that, listen, so that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Now, that's the way my Bible reads it. I call it closing the gap, the good, acceptable, perfect, the gap. You close the gap. But really, what it's saying here is when you are transformed, that what happens is you begin to walk around and you're proving to humanity that God's will is good and it's perfect. And it's acceptable. In other words, these aren't gradations of this is the good will of God, and this is the perfect or acceptable, and this is the perfect will of God. Those aren't gradations. It's not like that. I don't want to be. In, I don't want it the acceptable will of God. I want the perfect will of God. Well, you're thinking very one-dimensional when you think like that. You're thinking hierarchy. You're thinking tier. Like this one's good, and this one's acceptable, and this one up here, that one's perfect. It's not what he's talking about. He's saying that when your mind is transformed, you walk around on this planet and you look at God's will as you're living it out, and you're saying it's absolutely good, acceptable, and perfect all the way around. Front, back, top, down, side, every part of it is absolutely perfect. It's absolutely good. Why? Because our lives begin to demonstrate it, right? If we can come to the point as believers where we just let our own thinking, let our own doctrine fall to the side. We still think, I'm going to end with this right here, we still think that growing as a Christian means we come into church meetings or we go into teaching sessions or we listen to CD series or podcasts or read books and we gain information and we just keep stacking it one on top of the other. And we think that we grow into a place of maturity like that when actually that's the exact opposite. What we're building is religion. Real Christianity is coming in and letting the Holy Spirit take what you think and rip it off and go, nope, not that, not that, not that. Instead of building up, we're getting lower and lower and lower to get to the point where we're saying, I don't even know what I don't know anymore. I know he's good. I know everything about him is good. He's wonderful. Well, Andrew, what about that passage that says line upon line, precept upon precept? That is not the right context for it, if that's where you're going in your mind. That is not the right context for teaching. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite. It's God saying, that's what you want to do? Yeah, go ahead and do that. I'll speak to you with another tongue. It's not Isaiah. You can go look at it later. You guys hear what I'm saying this morning. There's a tearing down that really needs to happen. It's this losing of absolutely everything and where we come to a trust and a thing that says, Jesus, all I know is you are absolutely wonderful. You've changed my life. 
the blind man. Remember when Jesus heals him? And the Pharisees are all up in arms about it. Ooh, how did you get healed? Well, he put his hands on me. He said, see, so I saw. Well, who is he? Well, he's that Jesus dude. They don't like that answer, so they go talk to his parents. If it wasn't your son born blind, well, yeah, he was born blind. But he's of age now, so you talk to him. Because they were scared of him. They were scared of the Pharisees. You talk to him. I, yeah, he was born blind. So I go back and talk to him again. So it was this Jesus that healed you. This man, this blind man who was seeing, he's now getting upset and he's going, I, what, do you want to be his disciple? Talk to him. All I know is I was blind and now I see. What if we were to take that attitude? All I know is I was bound, but now I'm free. All I know is that I was living in addiction and now I don't live there anymore. All I know is I had a history of tailspinning when I'm left to my own devices, my own thinking. That never did me any good, but now I'm free and I don't have to live like that anymore. Sound good to you guys? Everybody stand up with me. I hope that helped you. That's just a little Sunday morning rambling, I guess. I want to see us, I want to see the church as a whole be transformed, metamorphosis, fall to pieces, fall to a goo with all of our theology and all that we think we know, fall to a goo, come back out looking like a butterfly, and everybody looks at it and goes, that's awesome. That's wonderful right there. You know, it's okay the next time somebody comes up to you and asks you about your doctrine and beliefs in certain areas for you to go, I don't know. It really is okay. It's probably one of the safest things you can do. I don't know. I don't know about that. All I know is I was blind. Now I can see. Sound good to you guys? Okay, I'm, I'm really thumping up against some uh, real intellectual stuff here. But it's okay. Okay, hold your hands out with me. Jesus, what we want is you, really. At the end of the day, what we want is you. We sing about it. We don't just sing about it, Lord. It's, there's power in your name. There's power in your name, Lord. All things created by you, for you, through you, and in you, all things exist. Lord, you hold it all together. He's taking everything and he's putting it into your hand. Lord, your word says that if we love you and if we keep your commandments, that you will manifest yourself to us. Lord, that's what we're praying for. The transformation happens best when you manifest yourself. So God, show up in the middle of our lives. Show up in the middle of this room when we meet. Show up in our cars when we're driving. Show up in our houses when we're eating. Show up in the shower when we're showering. Show up in the yard when we're mowing the lawn. And make yourself so conspicuous that we have to move to get around you. That you're so clear, that you stand in front of us so clearly and we see you, the Lamb of God. Perfect. Spotless. Perfect. Perfect in every way. Lord, I pray that we get the revelation, Lord. Anybody in here want an encounter with Jesus? Yeah. Say, Jesus, I want to encounter you. Now, I hope you're not just saying that because I told you to. Do you really believe that? Jesus, I want to encounter you. When I encounter you, everybody around me is better off for it. Lord, give them an encounter. Give everybody in this room that is, has the, in, the desire inside that just says, I know that there needs to be more change in my life, but I can't do it myself. I submit myself to you, and you change me when I see you. So show up in all of our lives, Lord. Change the way we think. We give you permission to change the way we think. We live in an ongoing lifestyle of repentance. Ongoing repentance. Ongoing coming back to the high place. Your thoughts, your ways, they're higher, Lord, so we submit ourselves to that. In Jesus' name, everybody says, Amen.